From the University of Bristol, you are listening to Research Frontiers. Hello, and welcome to Research Frontiers, a podcast series from the University of Bristol. I'm your host, Ruby Lotlavinia, and throughout this series, I'll be joined by a collection of Bristol's thought leaders, taking a deep dive into the research at the university, which is changing the world and enriching the education of students who study here. Our contributors will include some of the university's most inspiring minds and the students who learn from them. Throughout these conversations, we'll uncover the transformative power of research, both on our society and in solving global challenges, as well as in the future education of students. In this episode, we take a look at social sciences by way of resource management and the future of work. I'm joined by Dr. Rubitsa Andrzejewicz, an Associate Professor in International Labour Migration, and Dr. Hugh Thomas, a lecturer in management. I'm also joined by Michaela Lord, an alumna of Bristol University. It's lovely to meet you all. Yay, lovely to meet you too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's begin with you, Rubitsa. Could you talk to us a bit about your research areas and perhaps let us in some of your current or recent research projects? Okay, so in terms of my research area, what I have been researching for a really long time is labor migration. What interested me initially was how state immigration policies and in particular border policies and residency policy create vulnerability in the labor market because they make migrants deportable, which then exposes them to higher levels of exploitation by their employers. And it's also how immigration policies tie migrants into one workplace because their right to work depends on their right to stay in the country. So my recent research has been very much focused on what I call platformization of migration. And this is the impact of digital technologies on migration patterns, structures, flows, and workplace relations. That's really interesting. And if you can recall, was there a specific incident or situation which led you into this area or a moment where you felt particularly drawn to it? So for the last seven years, I have been researching labor rights in uh, electronic supply chains in Eastern Europe. What is really important to know is that electronics industry, especially electronics manufacturing, manufacturing is all about time competition. What is at the base of electronics industry is so-called just-in-time. And just-in-time is really about getting the right parts to the right factories at the right moment. But what interested me is, well, when we talk about just-in-time, you always talk about components. But what about people? Three years ago, I was in Slovakia doing fieldwork. And during that fieldwork, we stayed in dormitories where migrant workers stay. And these are the migrant workers that assemble the gadgets that we use. They assemble the laptops, desktops, and so on. What struck me was that behind the reception desk, there was a number of really big clocks which displayed different time in different time zones. And these were all locations that were key for the production and assembly of electronics. And this is when I started thinking about time. Interesting. And and Hugh, how about you? Can you tell us a bit about your research areas and what kind of drew you to it? My research kind of focuses on the kind of governance and regulation of work. So I'm interested in questions around how free trade and kind of the cross-organisation of production across borders has created challenges for the governance of work. So whether you think about the rise of global value chains, the idea that, you know, the phones in front of us are made up of 
millions of different parts from all over across the globe has created a lot of problems for policy actors as well as as labor more specifically unions workers etc so most of my research is kind of focused down on how these uh, unions and policymakers have tried to experiment with kind of different institutions um, to secure decent work, basically. So I've looked at this question in a couple of different sectors, uh, mainly the agricultural sector. So I've done work in, in the palm oil sector and also the tea sector. So looked at, again, questions there of how the value chain has, has restructured kind of production in these two sectors and how this has had often quite a a significant negative impact on the terms, conditions of employment of workers right at the level of the plantation and ways in which actors in these sectors have tried to improve their conditions of work, basically. I guess also more recently, because everything is digital now, I've also become interested in questions around the digital transformation of work uh, as well. And that's linked with the previous work, which is about, well, how do unions and policy actors uh, experiment with different forms of regulation to improve their conditions of work? In terms of how I sort of came to this broad area of interest, you know, this was actually inspired by when I was an undergraduate and did courses in international employment relations and was exposed to the, the poor conditions of work that many workers across the globe face. And that inspired me to do a PhD. As part of that, I went and worked for the United Nations Specialised Agency that deals with questions around labour standards, the International Labour Organization. And so that was my kind of opening into the sort of international dimension of the world of work. That's cool. So not just like a kind of theoretical look at it, but also kind of being able to see the impact of your research as well. And Mikla, this is a good time to, to bring you in. What course are you currently involved in at Bristol and what can you tell us about your studies? Sure. So I'm a part of the postgraduate taught program, uh, which is taught by Hugh Thomas. Uh, he's the program director for it. And uh, Ritwika is also one of the professors. So it's the MSc in Human Resource Management and Future of Work. I think uh, being a HR professional for three years in India, um, I had gained exposure into the work of uh, in HR in the organization. But I was always intrigued by the future of work and how it was evolving at a global level. Uh, you know, when I was exploring courses across the globe, this was one of the courses uh, which uh, really caught my interest because it dealt with uh, understanding international employment relations. And it also focused on the research which was revolving around future of work. So I think that is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I decided to take up this course. And um, while studying this course, we have uh, explored topics which are related to the platform economy, about the alternatives which are emerging for future of work, which are slightly different from uh, what a traditional organization structure would look like. And I think that is something that will in future also help me in shaping the work that I would do. That's great. And why why Bristol then specifically? I think among the courses uh, across UK, uh, this was one of the only courses which had all the topics that covered uh, the topics relating and researching about future of work. All the academics that are at the university are focusing extensively on improving the future of work, again, I'm stating this point, is because if we you know, look at the topic which Ritwicha is researching on, uh, it is about improving the work futures for the migrant labors, which is something that I think has uh, really made me interested in selecting this university particularly. Okay, cool. Uh, and just back to you, Ritsa, 
When it comes to kind of the subject of the future of work, which is a phrase that's that's already come up, is it something that can be easily dissected? And how do you tackle something like this and talk about it? I think the subject of future of work is huge. And therefore, the way that I have tried to work with this topic, especially in the units that I'm teaching, is through looking at technology. And I think what really interests me when it comes to technology and the, and the future of work is that often when we discuss technology and work, we end up talking about platform economy and gig work. And therefore, we end up focusing very much on unequal power relations between the platforms and the workers and workers lacking labor rights because they are not employed by the platforms. But what really interests me, though, is a different view at technology. And I think for me, this opens up other venues of thinking about future of work. So thinking which technologies or how do they mediate life and therefore how do they interfere, occupy, colonize our private sphere and therefore how how work bleeds constantly into life or how it is difficult to distinguish a boundary between work and life anymore. But then what is really what comes on top of that for me is issues about the planet and the more proper issues around sustainability. And it is the impact of these technologies that all of a sudden are governing our work, are governing our lives, but they also have a deep impact on, on the planet and on the resources of the planet. That's a pretty complex yet understandable way to kind of break it down and look at it. Hugh, your work involves agriculture and, and transport. How do you keep updated on these areas and what sort of developments are you regularly observing? I'll start with things around transport. When you look at like the impact of, of COVID-19 on economic sectors, civil aviation and sort of air traffic management has been one of the hardest hits. I mean, as we've seen, obviously, COVID-19 meant, you know, a lot of our travel plans were cancelled and planes had to be grounded. And this led to a lot of staff being laid off, made redundant or put on furlough scheme, as we've seen in the in the UK. And a lot of that has been covered. But what has been perhaps less covered is around the impact this had on, on air traffic control. So they've had to kind of keep working during the pandemic because you've had repatriation flights, you've had medical supplies, for example, being flown in. So although they've had obviously a reduced level of activity, they're still having to keep that level of operational activity. And so what we've seen in, in air traffic control has been vast differences in terms of how the organisations have reacted to COVID. So you've seen in some cases, massive uh, layoffs of staff. In some cases, such significant layoffs of, of staff that the remaining staff that have been working have had to then go off sick with stress and mental health problems. In one country, this meant that they then brought in other air traffic control officers to come in to try and take up that slack in demand, which had an impact on safety because these people weren't as trained to the same standards as they should have been. You know, and so you've seen also a reduction number of people being trained up as well. It takes about three years to train up an, an air traffic control officer. Training has been cut, which means now when you've seen this massive increase in flights, they've not been able to keep up with that demand. And then it's had a, a massive impact on service and, and, and stuff like that as well. So a project that I've been part of over the last year or so, uh, which has been involving a number of international trade unions and international professional associations, uh, has been looking at, can we rethink air traffic management. We've shown that air traffic control has not been 
pandemic proof? Is there ways of uh, using COVID to rethink these operations? And as myself and Ritvitsa, the kind of perspective we're coming from is very much about how do we improve people's working lives here if we can. So how do I keep up with those those things? Well, like I said, a lot of it is a lot of my research is driven by working with unions and other organisations. And in a way, what we try and do then is 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 academics in the University of Bristol here try and use this research that we're doing often with policy actors and then try and bring it into the classroom as well. So um, some of the stuff that we've been teaching on the MSc and human resource management, the future of work has been around questions around international employment relations, for example, how these things are, how these organisations are kind of structured, the impact of COVID that has had on the employment relationship, and then try and bring that expertise and experiences we've had into you know how we engage with people like Mikala, for example, and other students um, on the course. Just a very quick thing on agriculture, the massive uh, impact we'll see at the moment on for agriculture is questions around food shortages that are going to be uh, going to have a, a massive impact also on, on on cost of living and things like that. But what you've also seen, I think, in agriculture, the biggest impact will be climate change and the massive devastation of a lot of plantation crops, for example, because of climate change. And again, the, the my interest there is then these workers that depend on these agricultural commodities for their livelihoods, where do they go after this? Well, what other employment opportunities are there? So some of my research now has been looking at this kind of interface between climate change and, and work. Nicola, just back to you, kind of thinking about everything you've heard, does this kind of chime in with your studies and resonate particularly with what you've been working on? Um, absolutely. In fact, the topics that we have studied are very much in tune with what the research work our professors are doing at the moment and their collaborations with other organizations. Just to give you an example, uh, for use um, unit, we had done a assignment on presenting a report to the Bristol University, uh, which would be uh, related to one of the issues that is being projected by the International Labour Organization and how we could, as students, act as consultants in presenting a report uh, that showcases research-based facts on the issues that people are facing in the world of work. Uh, Another example which I can give is uh, an assignment about students taking stand of either the employer, the worker, or an employee representative organization. And this allowed us to gain knowledge about the research from various perspectives, uh, not just from an academic perspective or a theoretical perspective, but it helped us in doing research uh, about the topics, you know, which are currently the issues of the workers uh, around different organizations, not just in the UK or in the Euro, but across the globe. And I think that is something that definitely helps us in gaining a broader view of, you know, work. Yeah, it seems like an incredibly relevant academic area. Ravitsa and Hugh, at this point in time, how do you feel about the future of work? Obviously, it's a very nuanced uh, subject, but what are your feelings on how things are looking? It's a great question. What do I feel about it? Well, I mean, I guess you've got to keep these things a little bit upbeat for a, for a podcast. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you think about the future of work, I think 
the, the looming question around the future of work is going to be the impact of, of climate catastrophe, basically. Um, I don't think you can talk about work in, in any way without talking about that. And, you know, the, the future of work is something that's that's often pitched in, in these questions around, you know, either, either like robots are going to take our jobs and we're going to have all this leisure time and we're going to have to figure out what to do with all this free time that we're going to have. And like you said, there's a lot more nuance to this. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to People have a bit more agency over this, a bit more say over what the future of work actually means um, to them. I just think that the future of work is is something which you need to get uh, a lot more coordination between different countries. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've looked at, for example, is looked at trying to get even countries to all agree that something is um, either a labour right or not a labour right, uh, as many states have tried to promote themselves as being an attractive place for multinationals to come and invest in in their countries, often by uh, relaxing their labour standards. The traditional institutions of global governance, United Nations and, and others, have found it quite difficult to mediate these different voices of the state, even on simple questions around whether something is a labour right or not. And so obviously, when it comes to the question of what we're going to do in relation to the climate crisis, I think that would be the real test of whether global governance can kind of keep up um, and actually make a, a proper kind of response to some of these problems. But Ravitz, I don't know, are you happy? Are you, you know, are you more optimistic or more pessimistic? Maybe you can make it more upbeat than me. What struck me when when you talked about about the future of work, that you talked about technology on the one hand, and then you talk about climate crisis. We got to think these two things together because technology is about climate crisis. And going back again to the unit that I teach and about sustainable planet, I think what is really, really fascinating is that when we when we think about technology, we really often link it to automation or we link it to work and the and the changing work, but don't we don't link it to the planet. But if you think about technology, think about your mobile phone or think about this call that we are having, it needs internet, right? But internet is not immaterial. Internet is physical. Internet needs devices to operate on. It therefore it needs hardware. It needs software. It also needs cables, and those cables run at the bottom of the ocean. They have impact on the oceanic life. They have impact because they need to be repaired. They have to be maintained. They have impact, especially on the shallow water. And there is military relations and power struggles around those cables, right? So that's one issue. And then to run software, you need data centers. Okay. Data centers produce CO2 because they need cooling and that cooling happens through, through air conditioning. They consume a huge amount of water because they are also usually in the places where there is little water and therefore you have conflicts with local population around public water management. right? And then that also brings us to the issue of the hardware. And that for the components of the of the hardware of our mobile phone, of the of the screens, any gadgets that we're using, they need precious metal. So and this is then the whole business of extraction, extractivism, how it destroys planet and how these are finite resources. We use more of the cloud, which is also linked again to the to the data centers. I would like to for us to kind of think them together. One of the biggest struggles, and I have I have faith in that one, is around e-waste and the right to repair. Because we use all of this tech that has inbuilt the obsolescence cycle, so therefore it cannot be repaired. Just think that the laptop that we are using now, 
we use it usually for three years, four years. That's the average lifespan. But actually, we would need to use it for 20 years to sustain a count of of its CO2 emissions. Okay, well, I feel like there was maybe one positive point in there about the right to repair that we can feel a bit hopeful about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and <laughs> Michaela, what about you? Do you feel positive about the future of work? How do you think about it? I think so, yes. Ever since we have been discussing the future of work, the dynamics have changed. But uh, what remains is the hope for building that future, which is sustainable. And I think that is the part where, you know, we can hope that there are going to be actors in the society who will take steps to make things better. I think through courses like these as well, you know, put challenges into the minds of students who will want to then you know, dwell deep into those topics and then identify areas of research which can bring the future uh, of work to be a better place. And also, uh, when we transition from non-renewable to the renewable energy sources, we see work displacement, the places where the work of non-renewable energy sources was and the place where the newer energy sources will emerge is going to be different. So people who are working in those sectors will have to shift from one geographical area to another geographical area. It brings the loss of work, but it also brings new opportunities for people in different locations. I will say that I'm I'm much more optimistic after hearing Mikula speak, actually. And if anything, if we had, you know, if we had more students like Mikula, then maybe I'd be more optimistic about the future. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Great. And then I guess, yeah, just finally, one one piece of advice from you all uh, to students kind of considering this course. Hugh, we can start with you. My, my piece of advice would be be prepared to be challenged. I think the reason why we set up this programme was because there wasn't anything in the UK specifically designed to tackle some of the major challenges facing the world of work, basically. Um, there wasn't anything specifically focused on the future of work or the futures of work. And so I think for any students that are considering this program or are interested in, in the future of work, the way that it's going to affect their livelihoods going forward, the way it's going to affect any employment that they get. And, and also, as anyone who's interested in trying to stand in the marketplace, this is a really great program because it's a program that yeah challenges you on your kind of uh, existing ideas and, and beliefs. And Nicola, how about you? This course definitely uh, would be interesting for students who are interested in shaping the structures or or policies uh, at an international level for employment relations. I think this course helps you reimagine the alternatives of work as well. That is something that will be defining for uh, the future of work. And Rubitsa? If you're interested in these topics, come and study with us. We're going to take you out of your comfort zone and we're going to teach you to think, to converse and to engage from different kind of perspectives that you might not be immediately comfortable with. So if you're someone who is deeply invested in workers' rights, that is absolutely fantastic, but we're going to also teach you what would be the perspective of the companies and therefore of the businesses of the capital. We will also teach you what would be the perspective of the trade unions. And these three perspectives are different because the priorities are different, but you need to understand all three of them in order to be able to establish dialogue in the workplace and to take your organization forward. 
Thank you all so much for your time of such an inspiring conversation. It's been fascinating to chat with you. So thanks so much. Cheers, guys. Um, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Research Frontiers from Bristol University. We hope you found inspiration, information, answers, and more in all of these great conversations. Don't forget to check in over at www.bristol.ac.uk forward slash study forward slash postgraduate for more details on Bristol courses and information about Bristol University. Also, keep the podcast nearby. Subscribe to Research Frontiers wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And please do share with people who might benefit too. Thank you for listening to Research Frontiers. Research Frontiers.